Well, it's always a privilege to be able to preach God's Word to you, and I always enjoy just being able to look out and think of all of the different ways that God has brought each of us here this day. All of the different things that we have gone through to come here. But that He knows every single one of them, and that His Word is pertinent and important to each of us. So today we are continuing on in our series in the Gospel of Mark. If you have a Bible, you can open to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 34. And we're looking at three parables this morning. And all three of these parables talk about the kingdom of God. The title of today's message in the series is A Kingdom Like No Other. I think a lot of times we lose sight that God's kingdom is truly like no other kingdom on this earth. It can't be explained, it can't be contained, and it can't be stopped. And so today we're talking about the kingdom of God that Jesus has brought forth and is here today. And if you're here this morning and you're fatigued, and I'm not talking about fatigue just because your kids never sleep or because you never go to bed on time, I'm talking about fatigued because you feel the heaviness of the day. Fatigued because you look all around you and it seems like everything is broken and it seems like nothing will ever get better, whether it's injustice or family stress or money stress or relational stress or fill in the blank of whatever your specific stress is. You long for the day when everything will be better, when things will finally be over. And if you're in Christ, you're feeling exactly the way that you're supposed to feel because you're longing for a kingdom where you are truly supposed to be where your citizenship truly lies. This world is not your home. We are living in a kingdom now, but it's an already and not yet kingdom. We still live in the thorns and thistles of this world. There are these reminders of the fall and the reminders that we desperately need redemption. We're waiting for the king to come back and set us free from the bondage that consumes this world and all of the troubles that continually plague us. But I want to encourage you before we jump into the text, don't detest the struggles and pain of this life. Don't detest them because they are necessarily there to remind you that you desperately need Jesus. And so when you want to find the solution to the problem of the world, we're prone to come up with our solution. But the solution is Jesus. He is the only one who lifts our head and gives us hope. He is our great King who has come and will come again for us. So as we dive into God's Word this morning, let's rejoice in Jesus. Let's rejoice that He is truly all we need for all we face in this world. But before we jump into verse 21, let's pray uh, once again uh, that God would bless us as we read His Word. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You have spoken, that You have given us a Word that we can cling to because these are eternal truths in a world filled with so many things that we can throw away. Help us treasure your word. Lord, if we come to your word this morning fatigued and overwhelmed and we don't really feel the power, would you remind us of the power of your word? Would you remove from us the, the regular mundane approach that we have and that you would give us fresh eyes for your word and that you would cause us to rejoice in your goodness? Amen. Okay, so verse 21. Jesus is saying here, and he said to them, 
is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts it in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? For what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet it, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and put on, puts out larger branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So these parables come right after Jesus explains to his disciples the parable of the sower, which Pastor Chris preached on last week. And there is something Jesus tells the disciples in that passage we looked at last week that's a good starting place for us today as we look at each of these parables. Mark chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 says, And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. See, the kingdom of God that we are talking about this morning is very real. It's very present. But to those who aren't in the kingdom of God, they can't see it. They can't grasp it. In fact, the people who are in the kingdom telling people about it are usually seen as kind of strange because it's not something they can actually grasp onto. They don't understand the majesty. They don't understand the grandeur of God, that it can really bring true transformation to their life because God ultimately is the only one who opens eyes. He's the only one who opens ears. He's the only one who can change their hearts to show them the glorious truth of who he is and what he has done. So each of us, each of these parables points us to that reality. And the first point, the first parable of this message is this kingdom is a bright light in a dark world. See, Jesus starts in verse 21 asking a rhetorical question. Is a light brought in to be put under a basket or a bed or a bed and not on a stand? And we know the answer to this simple question. But Jesus isn't talking about a lamp. Jesus is talking about himself. In John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is all about Jesus. The light of the world coming into the darkness and exposing that which is hidden, exposing that which has been in hiding. And Jesus is shining this bright light into all of the darkness. This kingdom light that is coming into the world can't be simply covered up by a basket or a bed. 
these lamps that Jesus is talking about in this parable are not like a simple light switch that we lighted to lamp, an oil lamp with a flame. And even though my dad was a firefighter and I grew up learning all about fire safety, it doesn't take much time to explain to you that if you put a basket over a flame, it's going to light on fire. No matter what is trying to be covering the kingdom light, it will be consumed. You put a basket on it, it will burn. You put it under a bed, it will burn. The light will continue to consume. The light cannot be extinguished. The fire would consume. And so the light of the world that has come into the world can't be contained. It's not simply something that can be hidden away and it spreads to show all of the brokenness. It does exactly what it's meant to do. And it transitions slightly in this passage where Jesus then says this. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And you might wonder, well, if we all have ears, won't we be able to hear what Jesus is saying? But the problem is that apart from the kingdom of God, we are all spiritually deaf, like we already said. This is an active willingness, a listening to receive the teaching that he has given. He is telling them, if you have ears to hear, if you can actually hear the teaching of the kingdom of God, listen to these words that I have to say. It is a rejection of self-reliance. It's a rejection of, I can do this on my own, and it's an active submission to the teaching that Jesus has for them. He then goes on to tell them that if they hear these words and receive them, that they'll receive even more. But for those who don't have these words, even what they have will be taken away. It brings us right back to Mark chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. That those who can hear will receive more and those who can't are taken away. One of the great mysteries of the kingdom of God is that you can't get in through the work of human hands. All throughout our lives, there's every single thing that we can do is if we work hard enough, if we do the right things, if we're upright, if we're people of integrity, we can actually get through. But the kingdom of God, it's only through the work of God, through the Holy Spirit that we enter the kingdom. He is the one who opens these eyes and hearts, and this change ultimately leads to life transformation. It's called sanctification. Simply put, it's to be made like Jesus. Not only does the light transform you once, the light transforms you repeatedly throughout your life. Jesus is changing each of them. And so all of these parables, and the parable that Chris taught last week, all connect. See, the parable of sower tells us last week that the seed that was eaten, the plant that was scorched, the plant that was choked out, and ultimately the plant that grew by 30, 60, and 100 fold. The plants are ultimately today the person that truly receives Jesus is changed. They're changed over time, and those who did not receive Jesus might have had some good aspects in their life, but ultimately it all decays. It ultimately all fades away. And so how do we apply a, a difficult truth or difficult reality that those who are changed by God will grow, but those who aren't won't? Those who hear the word and receive it receive even more, but those who don't will have even what they've received taken away. Well, ultimately, I think we have to remember the truth that God has called us to faithfully share the gospel, to faithfully shine the light and make disciples and trust that God will continue to move in the hearts of those who are hearing the word. Those who have not been changed yet could be truly changed through the work of God. So the application is, let your light shine. Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16, Jesus is preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and he declares this 
about those who are his. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is the light of the world as he declares in John chapter 8. But in Matthew chapter 5, he tells us that we are the light of the world. And how does that happen? It's because if you've been saved by Jesus, God himself through the Spirit lives inside of you and you reflect the very light of our Savior. Is that not only are you a part of the kingdom of God, but you are a vessel to be used for God's glory. And I think we lose sight of that sometimes. That if you have been saved by Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God lives inside of you and you have a light that lives inside of you to shine brightly the radical change that can only be done by God. It is an overwhelmingly bright light in a dark world where people walk away and say, there is something different here. I've never seen a light like this before. I've seen a lot of shadows, but this light is the brightest. This light is the realest that I've ever seen. See, ultimately, you died the day that you trusted in Jesus. You were raised in newness of life and you are a new creation spreading the light and love of Jesus Christ and you have a mission to do that. See, the mission that we all have, the mission that we end every service with is the Great Commission. To make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that God has commanded us. And while this is simple, I think it's very easy for us to not actually shine the light that God has given us. To not be the bright light of a city on a hill. To not have the difficult conversations with people, pointing them to the reality that there is a God who loves them and who has created them to bring Him glory, but that their sin has separated them, and that through the gospel, because of what God Himself has done, they can be reunited. We can do this confidently because Jesus is with us always. The mission that he gave us is not a solo mission. It's not where we write a letter back to Jesus and say, God, I've been doing all this great work. If you could just please send some help, that would be great. No, he is inside of us and he is working through us. And the very light that we shine is not from our own strength. It is through God in us. And this looks differently for each of us. What does it look like for you to shine your light? If you've been radically changed by Jesus, how does your light shine to others? See, in this dark world that we all live in that is full of corruption and full of our own brokenness that still remains, applying the Bible to the way that you live your life will show a transformational light to the world. Simply taking the words and teachings of Jesus and having it affect the way that you love your wife or your girlfriend or boyfriend or your husband, loving your children, loving your coworkers, your students that you're with. That is radically different in this world. Living a life filled with integrity and doing the right thing and showing people that Jesus has changed me to a point where I can't do what the world says is good anymore. It's not out of a boldness or an arrogance that is built on our own goodness, but it's saying because Jesus has radically changed me, I can no longer live the way that I used to live. And this transformational light that people start to see, they see it and they go, this could have never come from just them. 
this is why people say, well, why do you live the way that you live? I even know for me, and this isn't a point of arrogance, but I've had even people in my own life say, Jim, why do you live in the 1950s? <laughs> why do you act the way that you do? Well, it's like, it's not simply because I want the 50s to come back. It's because Jesus has changed me and I can't live the way that I used to live anymore. A light lives inside of me and it shines differently. In the times where I'm prone to the darkness, it hurts to go to the darkness because I know what the light has brought me out of. And so our light shines brightly also when we live out the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 through 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So if you hear this and you say, well, you should have seen me last week. I didn't look like Galatians 5 last week. Well, then I would say to you, well, you should have seen me last week. I didn't look like Galatians 5 last week. God is working through us and changing us. This is not something that in our own strength we can do. It's the Spirit of God through us. And so when we reflect all of these things that I just listed, it's not because we're a good person. It's because the light lives inside of us, the Spirit lives inside of us, and we start to outflow the fruit that He's given us. Remember, when you are discouraged, that you're not shining the light like you should, that you're just as sinful as you were last week. Remember, there is but one perfect man who walked this earth, Jesus Christ the righteous. And we are seeking to live like Him, and we are waiting for Him to change us to be more like Him, and the only thing we can do is look to him and ask him for help to live like he lived. See, when the light shines through us, it is when God is working through us. Seek to live to make Jesus the best thing. All of the sharp edges of ourself will eventually become dull through the work of sanctification, but it won't be perfected until we go to heaven. So we do this not so we receive glory, but that God would receive glory. The second point of the message, parable number two, this kingdom is not built by human hands. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Jesus is still talking about the kingdom of God, and, and now he's going to a parable where a man is scattering seed throughout. He goes to bed, he wakes up, and he has no idea why the seed is growing. And before you fall into the temptation of rationalism, like I usually do, since I'm very analytical usually, you go, well, it's probably because you watered it. That's probably because the sun came out. That's probably why the seed is growing. But Jesus is teaching this to show that this is not the work of human hands. This is not something that, God, that, that man can do to bring forth this growth. Is that he keeps coming out and it's not because he's watered, it's not because the sun has come out, it's because this radical work is happening and the, gra the growth is finally breaking through the soil and he sees it all the way up until there's a ready point of harvesting. See, many people, as they were waiting for the Messiah to come, thought that the kingdom of God that had been promised all through the Old Testament would show up one day when the clock hits zero and everything would be overthrown. The Messiah would take his kingdom. All of the chosen people of God would reign in power and they would never be destroyed again. There is truth to that. But there was a slight difference. The thing that they missed was that this wasn't 
going to happen right away. The kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing forth is something that was a slow-growing kingdom ultimately to the point that was going to happen. As the first part of this parable shows us that the kingdom of God grows in ways without any human effort, without any coercion, without any clever schemes for us to get people to come to Jesus. The man faithfully throws the seed out onto the soil, but he can't explain what's going on. If you want to chart out the New Testament from when Jesus ascended into heaven to uh, church history through today, you will see that this parable is lived out over and over and over again. Despite there being no real explanation of how this actually could happen, the kingdom of God continued to grow. No matter how much persecution the church faced, no matter how many threats the church faced, how many times they said, you can't come here, and no, you can't share the gospel, it just kept spreading and spreading. Jesus takes 12 average men, one of them betrays him, ultimately leads to his death. He raises from the dead three days later with 11 average, relatively beat up men. And these men are soon filled with the Holy Spirit and ultimately change the world. Day and night, day and night, they see growth that comes, people coming to faith. And no matter how bad the persecution got, they still saw God moving. One of their biggest opponents, Saul, wants to put them to death. In fact, is employed by the government that wants to suppress this message of Jesus, has a radical encounter with Jesus Christ, and is changed forever, and becomes Paul, who then is the most influential missionary, potentially of all time. The kingdom keeps growing and growing in ways that make no sense. They wouldn't have recruited Paul to spread the kingdom message, but God chose Paul to do it. This growth is still happening today. If we had eyes to see, if we had faith to believe that the kingdom is still going forth, ultimately until the day of Jesus, that plant is still growing until the final harvest. When Jesus returns and corruption comes to an end and the new heavens and the new earth are here and we actually worship the king that we talk about when we sing and when we preach, that that day is coming. So how do we apply a parable into our own lives to take action on the reality that the kingdom of God grows without the work of our hands? And that's a fair question. As we look at the reality and maybe even the struggle that we grow through, the, the struggle that we feel is that God has and will continue to use people to build his kingdom. But he is the one who builds and brings growth. We are called to faithfully labor for the kingdom, but to trust God for the growth of the kingdom. And that's the application point. Faithfully labor, but leave the growth up to God. See, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6-7. through seven. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Paul and Apollos are both teachers. They're gaining lots of popularity. They're gaining followings. And people want to credit their faith to them. They want to say, well, I'm with Apollos. And they go, oh, no, well, I'm with Paul. And we still fall into this trap today, right? There's, there's always some great teacher that you found on the internet that you want to say, oh, well, I really love this guy. But Paul points us back to the reality that we all need, that we are all in Christ, that Christ is the one who brought growth in you. Even though he used Paul to radically save you, it is ultimately Christ who gets the glory. And so he wants them to be reminded that you are in Christ. Christ is the one who has done this. Only God can ultimately do this work. And ultimately, I can think of our own context as a church. 
as a young church plant. We're only two and a half years old, and, and maybe there's some Sundays where you really feel like, yeah, I can tell we're only two and a half years old. But God has faithfully worked. Is that when you go back to the story of how this all began, it started with two people, Chris and Alex. They feel a call to plant a church. And there was a ton of laboring that took place, a ton of people that came along and partnered. And all of this happens in the core team phase, meetings and follow-ups and all of this labor, prayer gatherings and worship services. And now, two and a half years later, there's all this stuff that has happened in the life of Vertical Church. I think sometimes just to stop and rejoice and think about all that God has done. But make no mistake, Pastor Chris didn't build this church. None of the elders built this church. You didn't build this church. God built this church and is continuing to build this church and bless us. And a lot of times we get together on Monday and we go, I don't know where people are coming from and I don't know how he's doing this, but we're thankful and we faithfully labor on. But ultimately we can't lose sight of the fact that every single thing that we do for the kingdom, whether it's making disciples and planting churches, it's not us who gets the credit. No matter how hard we labored or how many nights that we didn't sleep, it's ultimately God who brought all of the growth and he is the only one who continues to get the glory. So as we let our light shine, as we labor day and night, we pray and we gather, we go to bed tired, we wake up maybe even more tired than we did the night before, I believe that God blesses faithfulness. But it's important to remember that the blessing isn't a specific numerical amount. And so if we send out missionaries, if we have people reaching out into the city and we go, oh, well, they've only reached one person. Well, they've only reached two people. They're faithfully laboring and trusting in the work of God. Let us not judge based on how fast things are growing. See, that's ultimately a, a, maybe a, a whole corporate, like all of us together application. But looking at what does it mean for your own individual life, you are individually called to labor for the kingdom of God. You specifically have a mission given to you by God. You wake up and you go to work and you let your light shine and you share the message, the reason of the hope that you have in your life with your coworkers or your friends. And you do this with neighbors and anybody who you come into contact with. And ultimately, some may reject you, some may push you aside, but you continue declaring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you do it because you're patiently waiting for God to bring growth. It's the family member who you think will never come to faith, but yet you still continually talk to them about the gospel. It's the friend who you've known your whole life before you knew Jesus, and you're trying to so desperately get their eyes to open to the reality that what they're chasing will never satisfy them. You faithfully labor and you wait for the growth. And you continue on and you continue on and you spread seeds and you pray for it to grow. But don't lose heart. Keep faithfully laboring because God is faithful to bring growth. And it might not look like what you think. Labor for the kingdom. King Jesus is faithful. He sees every gospel conversation you have. He sees every moment where you feel anxious going into that meeting and you pray, God, give me the words to share with them because I so desperately want them to know you. He, he is there for you in every awkward conversation that you have where you mess things up and he is faithful to work through that. The third parable, the point, the kingdom can't be contained. Verse 30, and he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. 
Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This third and final parable of the, of the passage we're looking at today continues to point us to the kingdom. Jesus compares the kingdom to a mustard seed, a super small seed that if you tried to hold it in your hand, it would be hard not to drop it and lose it. This seed then grows into a plant that is larger than all of the garden plants that it's in, and it spreads and spreads and spreads to a point where it can't be contained, to a point where birds are living in it now through all of that. And so I shared previously that Jesus left us this mission. He left it for a few men, and now there are millions of people who have professed Jesus as Lord. Millions of people who are a part of the kingdom of God that started with a few men who are terrified watching their Lord ascend back into the heaven. And I'm encouraged a lot by just these reminders of how the kingdom of God has grown throughout history. When I read through missionary stories and biographies, I see a smaller picture of the kingdom of God that can't be contained. Sometimes my eyes are so fixed on the problems in front of me that I need to look back and see those who have gone before us and have been used mightily by God. I think of Adoniram Judson. I'd encourage you to look him up this week if you're not familiar. But he was a Baptist missionary, and a much too brief summary of Adoniram Judson is that he's a missionary from America to Burma, which is now known as Myanmar. Burma, a primarily Buddhist country, and Judson was warned before he leaves. He's telling all of the people that he's in this missionary organization with, I want to go to Burma. And they warn him, it's going to be hard, if not impossible, for you. Don't you know that if you evangelize and people come to faith, that they currently have laws in place that if you convert, that you would be put to death? How are you going to be able to go into such of a hard territory to, to share the gospel and see people get changed when people are always going to be fearing for their own lives? But Judson, empowered by the Holy Spirit, so convinced of the faithfulness of God, to save and spread the kingdom, he still went. He still went and he faithfully served for seven years before anyone was converted. Seven years. And if we go by the standards of today, the standards of church growth, this dude's going to get his funding cut. They're going to say he's not called, he's not equipped, there's something wrong with him. Maybe he doesn't have the right methods. and Maybe we should keep pressing in and trying to figure out, maybe there's somebody who's better than Judson that we can send. But Judson was not prone to despair through all of this. He rejoices over the one person who comes to faith, and he continues to press on into mission. And then 12 years into his ministry, there's 18 converts. 12 years. And I think about that, right? We think about one month, like, oh, I don't think this is working. Two months, I don't know. That was a weird Sunday. You just keep going 12 years. And he presses in. And he got so much joy from these 18 converts that he presses in further and says, I'm going to translate the Bible into their own language. I'm going to learn Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. And I'm going to bring it into their own language after I've studied it so they can receive the Word themselves and not just hear it from me. See, his life is filled through all of these 
all these challenges and sorrows as he continues on. He's imprisoned. Two of his wives die. He gets married. She dies. He gets married again. She dies. He loses children. And in spite of all of these trials, Judson, through the power of God, labored in a place where somebody said it could never be reached. The kingdom of God can't break through these walls. Don't you understand that it's too hard? That the ground is too hard? Why don't you just take a nice church here, Judson? And by the end of his life, there's over a hundred churches planted. Over 8,000 believers. And the legacy lives on to today that the third largest population of Baptist Christians, which I know, maybe that's really specific, but I'm a lifelong Baptist and it's very great. That the third largest population outside of the United States and India, Burma, Myanmar, is the most Baptist Christians. And it was because one man believed in the power of God to change people and he really believed that the kingdom of God was like a mustard seed that once it grew, it could not be contained and nothing could stop it. Oh, if God did that to us. If He emboldened us like this one family who believed by faith that God would do what nobody thought could be done. If God would actually do what He promised to do, that disciples were making disciples and churches were planting churches, the kingdom of God can't be contained. It can't be stopped. No matter how small it might seem, it can never be extinguished. There is no amount of persecution or threat that will ever stop the kingdom of Jesus Christ spreading throughout this earth and saving people. The faithful labor of disciples, the Holy Spirit to work and save, that is God's plan to save the world. Many of us, especially myself, are prone to despair. We look around at the world and we go, we go, it's too far gone. There's people who are doing things that I never thought they would do. There's people who are so far from God and not only do they not even want to talk about this, they, they have no desire to even hear the Gospel. I know in my, my brain that God's kingdom can't be contained, but there's times in my heart where it doesn't feel that way. I pray, God, continue to grow my faith. Give me a faith that you gave Judson. That through the hardest parts of this city and through the hardest parts of this state and our country and our world, that your kingdom will press through if we are just faithful to do what you tell us to do. That you are the one who does the work. That it will never be stopped or contained. And so how do we apply this? We trust in the promises of God. God's perfect word is filled with promises. And so when you're prone to discouragement, when you're prone to depression, and so much more, when you feel the weight of the day, the anxiousness that consumes us, flee to God's Word and see the promises that He has given us because they are true. His promises are true and we need to remind ourselves every single day regularly of the promises because we are so prone to forget them. Trust to them. I cling to this promise in Revelation regularly. Revelation Chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, it is a song, a song to the Lamb who is Jesus. And it says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. It is a promise that every tribe and language, and people, and nation will have people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus and be a part of the kingdom.
There is nations and tribes today who have never heard the gospel. There are people that live in the Twin Cities today who have never had somebody share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. There are unreached people groups throughout this whole world who don't know the message of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God has promised us in His Word that He will use the faithful work of His disciples to convert those people, to change their lives, to make them new. They've never heard the gospel. That God Himself, the One who created them to bring glory to Him, in their sin, came to earth to take on death, to defeat sin and death, rose three days later, and ascended into heaven. And that if they would trust and believe, if they would repent of their sins, they would be saved. They would have eternal hope forever. So church, God has promised that He will save. Do we believe it? Do we believe when we go out that Jesus still saves people? Even that neighbor who's not nice and doesn't like you? Even that coworker, that family member who just asked, could we just not talk about this at Thanksgiving? Even the people who have pushed harder and harder and the ground seems like you can't break through, do you really believe that God can break it? Let us believe and trust in the promises of God. Let us trust that Jesus is powerful enough to break through any barrier or any issue that will ever be faced. This kingdom can't be contained. No matter how hard people might try, it will never be stopped. So let us pray that God gives us more faith. More faith when we share the gospel. More boldness to shine the light. That we would go to fields that have never been harvested. That we would go to the people that God has prepared for us to faithfully labor in. See, if you're in Jesus Christ this morning, you are a part of the kingdom of God. You've been given a mission to make disciples of all nations. You are not alone in the mission Jesus is with you, so faithfully press on. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus, I would love to talk to you about how Jesus has changed my life. I know Pastor Chris would love to do the same. Jesus is the only reason why I'm here. Jesus is the only reason because He's opened my eyes to the truth that God's kingdom can't be stopped. That He has saved me from my sin and He's given me a hope everlasting and I can trust in Him to know that He will continue to do that. Let's pray.